0: Zig Ziglar is world-renowned for his speeches on sales and motivation in the business world. Zig tells the story of a West Texas rancher. A West Texas rancher was rich, and when I mean rich, I mean wealthy rich. This way, you know, you think about rich and you think about Steve Young, you think about wealth, you think about the guy who signs his checks, Bud Adams. This guy was rich. He had thousands of acres of land, millions of dollars in the bank, and a huge mansion on that, on, on that land. In the back of his yard, he has an Olympic-sized swimming pool. This West Texas rancher has a daughter. This West Texas rancher's daughter was coming of age, and he decided to have a coming-out party for her, as they did in the old and golden days. I'm so thankful they don't do that now, because I would not want my father hooking me up with somebody to marry but they were having this coming out party for this for this, uh, for his daughter and he had invited people from a hundred mile radius, all the men in that area, the young men in that area. And he filled his Olympic sized swimming pool with alligators and moccasins and he said, boys, he said, the first person that jumps in that pool and swims across will win one of three things. I will give you a thousand acres of land or a million dollars or you can have the hand of my daughter. In marriage, the young man, let me tell you something. The one who gets my gets, uh, takes my daughter in marriage will one day inherit all of this. And immediately as he said that, he heard a splash, followed by a soon, a soon emergence out of the water. He walked up and said, son, that was amazing. It was a world record that will never be beaten. He said, son, that was amazing. He said, son, would you like the thousand acres? And the young man looked at him and said, no, sir. He said, son, how about a million dollars? And he said, no, sir. And the, young, and, and the rancher said, well, son, I have to assume that you would like the hand of my daughter in marriage. And the young boy said, of course not. He said, well, son, perplexed, what in the world do you want? And the boy looked at him and he said, I want to know the name of that dude who pushed me into the swimming pool. Now, I want to tell you, that boy was motivated. That young man was motivated. And this morning, I want to talk to you about motivation. If you will, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, Paul and Timothy bond servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He says in verse 6, "...for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus." The church of Philippi was a lot like the church of Thessalonica. They, were in, they encouraged the Apostle Paul. They were an enthusiastic group of Christians. They loved to do the work of God. And in verse 9 he says, And I pray that your love may abound still more in real knowledge and all discernment. The Apostle Paul was encouraged. If you turn in Philippians 3, he says in verse 9, And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul was one of the most amazing men in the Bible. He was one of the most enthusiastic, one of the most motivated men of God that we read in the Bible. When he says here that he forgets what lies behind and reaches forward to what lies ahead, he's talking about the things that in the past that he did, the past sins that he committed, talking about the past injuries from brethren, the past persecutions, and the past victories that he won. Why? Why do you forget the past? Why do you forget those things? If you forget your past sins that God has forgiven you of if you've asked for it, if you forget those past injuries, uh, brethren, you won't wallow around in sorrow. You'll press forward. If you forget the past persecution, you won't wallow around in hatred for those people who persecuted. You will move forward. You will be motivated. And if you forget the past victories, you will not grow arrogant. You will move forward. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be like the Apostle Paul. We need... To be motivated. And, and, and I'm sorry, Philippians 4 and verse 13. The Apostle Paul, let's go back in verse 4. I am sorry. The Apostle Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lowly, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. And the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have received your concern to me. Indeed, you were concerned before you lacked opportunity. Now, that, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. The Apostle Paul was truly a motivated individual. You know, motivation is not permanent. Sometimes life gets the best of us. Sometimes we come in, we're motivated, we come in our worship services, we're motivated, we're ready to go. By the time we're done, we're tired, we're ready to go home, we're ready to go eat, we're ready to take that Sunday afternoon nap, watch the Titans lose on football. Well, hopefully not anymore. But we're we're ready to go. We've lost that motivation. As we go through work and the next day and Monday and Tuesday, on Monday we wake up and we think, oh, it's another Monday. And we have to get up and we have to go to work on that Monday, that dreaded Monday. I love Mondays. I think Mondays are a great day. I love them because they're a day that we can start the week praising God. And it's a day that we can start the week after Sunday to be an example to those in the world. We're out in the world and Mondays are a good day. Motivation is so important for the Christian. And it is something that we need to spend some time talking about. If we will turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus had something to say about motivation in verse 6. When he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Jesus basically said, blessed are you for, uh, for being motivated for you're going to be satisfied. What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? A lot of times we will talk about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and we'll talk about simply the fact that it means simply we need to study the Bible more. Brethren, that is not the only thing this passage is saying. This passage is holding a lot more to that. This passage is saying we need to go out and spread the Word of God. We need to be motivated to be united. We need to be motivated to work together in our work here at the Franklin Church of Christ, or wherever you may worship. We need to be motivated to serve God with all of our hearts, to serve God with all of our soul, with all of our mind. We need to be motivated to do that. That's what this passage is saying. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This morning I want to share with you three things that I've just mentioned and talk with you about three things that I think we need at the Franklin Church of Christ to be motivated about. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. To Matthew chapter 28. And I want to ask you this morning, how many times in the last year have you taught someone the gospel of Jesus Christ? I don't, want to, I, don't want to, I don't want you to raise your hands, but have you even taught anyone the gospel of Jesus Christ in the last year? What about the last two years or the last five years? Let me pose that question in a different way. Maybe a different question. How many times have you invited someone to church in the last year, the last two years? over the last five years. Dick Modine, an attorney and a faithful Christian in Missouri, made the comment to a younger group of Christians saying, my generation has failed in teaching the gospel. So what do you do when you fail at doing something? You move on. As Paul, The Apostle Paul says, you press on towards the goal. You press on. You change things. There's a saying that goes, no change, no change, meaning if you're not going to change, your result and it will not change as well. No change, no change. Read with me Matthew 28 and verse 18. Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What is Jesus saying here to his disciples? He's saying, go and teach. Go and make disciples. That involves teaching. To teach, you've got to know something. So therefore, well, you have to study the Word of God. You can't teach something you don't know. So, the, so Jesus is saying, go therefore, make disciples, teach people, baptize people. And then what does he say? Teach people to observe all that I command you. How many times have you seen brothers and sisters in Christ fall away? Brothers and sisters in Christ who are raised in the church. Well, that's partly the problem. A lot of times we grow complacent, as we mentioned this morning in our Bible study this morning in, in, the, in the adult class here. A lot of times we grow complacent. And so children and generations to come will see that complacency and they'll come to church with their parents. However, when they grow, they're not nurtured in Christ. They were raised in quote unquote the church, but they weren't raised in Christ. Brothers and sisters, may that never be. May we be motivated about our work here and may we continue to teach. The new converts. That we continue to teach ourselves. Let's commit ourselves to teach the gospel. The second thing we need to be, be is we need to be motivated to unity. Paul in the church in uh, in Philippians chapter 2 says it like this. He says in verse 1 if therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love. If there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete. By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. What made the church of Thessalonica and the church of, of, at Philippi so united? What made them so encouraging? to The Apostle Paul, even while the Apostle Paul was in prison, what made it so encouraging? Look with me in 1 Thessalonians 1. I've talked about this in previous sermons I've preached, but I do not want to look over it today either. In 1 Thessalonians 1, Apostle Paul is saying, we give thanks to God in verse 2 always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. In other words, he was thankful for their work, for their labor, for the things that they have done. And as a result of that, if you read on in 1 Thessalonians, those brethren were united. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 42, it said, After they were all, all 3,000 souls were saved that day, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowships, the breaking of bread, and the prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place with the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And notice in verse 47, And the Lord was adding to their number, Day by day, those who are being saved. Turn over a page in my Bible to Acts chapter 4. In, in, in verse 4, But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Look in verse, chapter 5 and verse 14. So then, all the believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number. Number six, uh, chapter, uh, chapter six and verse seven. And the Lord kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Brothers and sisters, to be to be united in Christ, we have to work. To be united in Christ, we have to be hospitable. First Peter four, Peter tells the brethren there. He says, be hospitable without complaint. What does that mean? What is hospitality? Can I suggest to you that hospitality is not opening the doors, not just opening the doors to your refrigerator, your cupboards, and cooking a meal for a brother or for someone else. Hospitality is opening the doors of your heart to someone else. And there's several ways in which we can be hospitable. Hospitality helps unite the church. If you look in chapter 4 in verse uh, In verse 32, 34, rather, Barnabas had sold a piece of land and laid it at the apostles' feet to share with anybody who might have need. Barnabas was a hospitable brother, very hospitable. Barnabas cared for his brethren so much as to sell a piece of property and give it to whoever they needed and let the apostles distribute it as they needed fit. Can I ask you a question this morning? How many times a week do you how many hours a week do you spend with other Christians outside of our assembly? In Bible study? How many times outside of the services a week do you spend studying your Bible with your brothers and sisters in Christ? In Acts chapter 2, it says day by day they were doing this. And you may say, Wiley, we're busy. We live a busy life. Amen. We do. But are we too busy for the Lord? And are we too busy for the Lord's people? Brothers and sisters in Christ, may it never be that we're too busy for the Lord and too busy for the Lord's people. In Galatians 6, Paul says, do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. How hospitable are you, brothers, sisters? I would encourage you and challenge you to change things if you're not as hospitable as you need to be. All you have to do is spend one or two hours a week to start off with with a brother and sister in Christ outside of the services Do it for four or five weeks in a row and it will become a habit. And let me tell you something, you will see the benefits of doing that. Jesus, in John chapter 17, prayed to His Father for unity. And I would to God that all of my brethren and all of our brethren all over this world would read this passage... And understand it. Jesus says in verse 1, These things Jesus spoke. And lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify thee. Even as thou gavest him authority over all mankind, that to all whom thou hast given him he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I glorified thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. And now glorify thou me together with thyself, Father, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I manifested thy name to the men whom thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have come to know that everything thou hast given is from thee. For the words which thou gavest me I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from thee, and they believed that thou didst send me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all things that are mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And I am no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep them in thy name. The name which thou hast given me, that they may be one even as we are. In verse 20, he says, I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. In verse 23, he says, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that thou didst send me And didst love them, even as thou didst love me. Brothers and sisters, to be perfected in unity, we've got to spend time together. And we've got to spend time together studying God's word. And as a result, the Lord will add to our number. It comes straight from the book. And the book is so perfect if we just follow it to the T and we'd be motivated about it, that the results will be perfect. Finally, this morning, brothers and sisters of Christ, we need to be motivated towards our work here together, not just in unity, but the things that we do, our evangelism efforts. And that starts by simply being present. And what do I mean by being present is being here every time you the doors are open. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Famous verse. I'm not teaching you something you don't know. But it says in verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Notice in verse 25, he talks about forsaking the assembly. And then in verse 26, for if we go on sinning. Edwin had one of the best sermons I've ever heard him preach about Mary Martha and Lazarus. And he made the comment in there about several things that he's never been persecuted from outside the world, but people inside the church have persecuted him for. And one of the comments he made was that about Sunday night worship. We are not commanded to meet two times on Sunday. However, we are commanded to meet on the first day of the week. We have set aside that time to be together. Our elders have have designated that time to be together. I think that's a great tradition. I think it's a tradition that should carry on. Edwin made the point in his sermon, if you don't, you don't, don't forget that. He said, you know, I've never been persecuted for worshiping on Sunday night by anyone outside the church, but I have by those inside the church. Those who are always wanting to change things. Always wanting to be different. Being different, there's nothing wrong with that necessarily as long as it doesn't contradict what the Bible says. However, if we have set aside a time to be here, we need to be here. I want to ask you a question. Who's going to come back tonight or Wednesday night? I know I'm stepping on toes here. I'm not aiming for your toes. I'm aiming for your heart. But Sunday morning crowds, we all know, are the larger crowds in the congregation. in the country, and, 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 that, and that is all true. So when I say I'm not trying to step on your toes, I'm trying to step on your heart a little bit, I want you please to realize that I need you. And that these brethren need you. You are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we need you. More importantly, God needs you. We want you. And we need you to be here. Don't forsake the assembly because I need you, brothers and sisters. I need you and, this, and this, this congregation, this family needs you to be here. What about our giving? We've mentioned this a couple of times. What about our giving? Are we motivated in our giving? Are we motivated to be generous to the Lord, to the Lord's work, to our work here together? When we hear a sermon on giving, do we sit there and say, oh, there's just another sermon on giving. He just wants us to give more. Or do we sit back and we really analyze where we're spending our money? Do we sit back and really analyze how we're living our lives? If you want to know your priorities, I've said it before, and Edwin said it before, several have said it before, look at your check register or that Visa card balance statement at the end of the month and learn where your priorities are. Brothers and sisters, we need to be motivated about our generosity. And as we're motivated towards our work together, we need to be motivated by our worship. You have listened so attentively this morning and you have sung so beautifully this morning. When we come to worship, are we on time? When we come to worship, are we here? And I know I have this problem sometimes too, so I'm stepping on my own toes here. But when we come to worship, are we ready to worship? I was talking to my dad about this. I mentioned this in Bible class uh, this morning. I to my dad about this. He preaches at the South Coleman Church of Christ in Coleman, Alabama. And uh, we were talking about this last weekend. He said, you know, it never fails that ten minutes before the service, someone will always come up and tell them about the problem they're having while he's trying to prepare his mind for worship. Before the worship, are we preparing our minds? Now, I understand if there's someone sick and we need to pray for them, there's there's a difference. But are we preparing our minds for worship properly in the mornings? On the car on the way here, are we listening to hymns? In the morning when we wake up or we're reading our Bible, we don't need to just do that this morning. We need to do that every morning. If you want to be motivated, I want to suggest a couple of things to you. One, be hospitable. Try spending some time once a week with someone outside of the services and do it for four or five weeks. I guarantee you it will become a habit. If you want to study the Bible and you get these daily reading plans, that's fine. But if you want to, do, if you want to study the Bible and you don't like the daily reading plans, study a passage or text that you, that you would enjoy studying. And keep studying that. And keep growing. And do it every day. Read for 15 minutes every day, whether it's morning, afternoon, or night. Read every day for 15 minutes for the next 21 days. And I can guarantee you it will become habit. And I can guarantee you you will grow spiritually. Because reading and studying helps us grow spiritually. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Think about that. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied.